about to push the button. Go ahead and sing it, Jeff. <laughs> no. I don't even I don't even have a check on on K yet and I'm I'm saying no, go no, ahead and check no it. check on me. I haven't checked K yet, so you're I'm safe. I'm Polish. He's, I'm not Czech. You're already safe. recording go and ahead, he Jeff. hasn't even uh, got the mic levels yeah. yet. Yep, go ahead, Jeff, sing what what in the butt for me. <laughs> you just did. What? You just did. What? In the but, butt? But <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, I don't know the full details, but apparently like at one point, Ben Shapiro had taken on wet ass pussy. Oh, geez, yes. And and the wasn't it, it was something like if your pussy's wet, you have a medical problem. Yeah, that that his wife said that to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's right up there with you're perfect, honey. You're the perfect <laughs> yeah. size, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, that that was its own special own, without a doubt. <laughs> Cell phone. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. I still remember the... Fr- okay, never mind. <laughs> I- <laughs> Go ahead. You still remember... Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was... That, it was some wet-ass pussy. <laughs> Let me just tell you. I was stunned. <clears throat> I was like, how did they function with this? My goodness. I'm going to stop this and rewind it. Yeah, I was going to oh, say, this: the whole first damn. 10 minutes of this is just... Excised. Nope, we're in all the way. Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 562. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we're here to talk Weekend Geek, amongst other things. Oh, yeah. Apparently. K, good to have you back on the show. We've missed you. Nice to be here. Nice to be alive. COVID-free. Yeah. For now. Apparently, Andy (laughs) did not contaminate me. That's great. That's great. So sorry we couldn't have Andy on the show, but we had to take necessary precautions. Traveling right now, especially if you have layovers, is... High risk, as 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 much as I hate to, you know, argue with, you know, the transportation professionals. The CDC says something opposite to what the transportation I mean, professionals. Yeah, say. they they're doing what they can to mitigate damage. Absolutely. However, there comes a point where the risk level becomes a little too much to be comfortable. It's it's amount of exposure and time that you're exposed to that those numbers. They say a direct flight of less than four hours is usually pretty safe. It's a moderate right, risk. Right. But if you are taking flights where you have to have connections and you have layovers, it increases it to high risk sure. behavior. And it's sad that that's the, the state that we live in right now, but, or I should say the country that we live in right now. Yeah, because the state we're living in is Nevada, yeah. which is almost finished counting its ballots. We'll get there. Oh, yeah. We'll, we'll, a, we'll announce a winner real soon. That's right. But on a positive note, one of the uh, the first uh, rounds of testing of COVID vaccine is, is showing promising results. Yes, it is. But the scientists that are involved in it, to their credit, are saying it's promising, but we don't have all the data. So, right. you know, be patient. Sure. We still right. have more testing to do. Which, it's coming and it's coming soon-ish, <laughs> but... Uh, Soonish for high sure. risk people. Yes. But to to quote Winston Wolf, let's not start sucking each other's dicks yet. <laughs> yeah. yes. I did like that yes, they indeed. made they made a they made it a point to say that 
even if these are successful tests and even if these vaccines are successful, it'll still be probably a year before we get widespread vaccinations for the majority of the population of the planet. So what a joy. Start with high risk military and then it works down from there. So. But we have a new president elect. Yes. There is reason to rejoice. I did cringe when I saw everyone actually out in the streets rejoicing. However, fuckers, go quarantine. Yeah, really. I I appreciate your happiness, and I feel you in your happiness. But but God damn it. Stop causing more problems. (laughs) Be part of the solution. Jesus. Yeah. And and remember, alcohol is a solution. (laughs) Yes, it is. We have plenty of solution right here. But gentlemen, what topic at hand? What geeky things you do this week? Oh goodness! Oh goodness! What oh, goodness. geeky things? Hmm. Well, I did realize today I forgot to take my notes over the last week oh. from the last show. Oh shit! He's wow. going old school. So I'm having. He's to go gonna have memory. to riff. I caught um, COVID. No, oh. thank God. Herpes. <laughs> HPV. No. I caught heavy metal on on uh, oh, one, of the, uh, one of the one of the. It's a one-way pay channel, so recorded that and watched it when I had the chance. And uh, Tarna, there is it's weird. Like there are little bits and pieces of it that I just don't remember. But uh, well, yes, for as esoteric as heavy metal is, right? It's not very memorable, except for like blips and pieces. Yes, exactly. And uh, I always seem to remember it being smoother in the animation. I didn't remember how how jerky the animation <laughs> style was. Oh, how things have progressed. <laughs> um, it looked like downright anime, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a product of its time. I'm not going to say that it's aged poorly, but I don't necessarily know that it's something that anybody could jump right in and watch. I was watching that, and I'm like, oh, you know, I feel bad because this is definitely more nostalgia, sure, than anything else. And there are elements of sexism in there that that you know, I don't think from from necessarily heavy metal? fly to Wait, wait, you're talking heavy metal, the comic book, yeah, the, right. the one with all the boobs and misogyny. Yeah, <laughs> there is that. The style where they use rotoscoping and then trace it in order to give you a lot of the animation is fascinating and and the music is certainly good because it's 80s hair metal if you will but uh yeah i i'm I'm not sure beyond the nostalgia factor that it's something that i would if i were introduced to it today would necessarily like i think i like heavy metal more as a concept than the actual piece and i'm even talking about the comic books Sure. Or a comic magazine, if you will. Of course, I, it, it had my attention as a young teenager and, well, yeah. and before. But as I have gotten older and actually read a few of these, I'm like, it's, it's okay. That, that this, this is being done much better elsewhere. Right. Yeah, there was an interesting, there was, I read an interview with Moebius, and this was a couple decades ago, and he was reflecting back on those days. And his, uh, you know, metal uh, Erlant, and uh, he had actually commented, we really thought that the art is what mattered, and you didn't need to worry about story. That makes sense. You just had to make good art. And he said, we've since 
learn this. We since realized the value of uh, telling a good story. But, you know, at, at first it was about the art. He had actually made that comment. Which, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Because art-wise it is fantastic. Well, and it was yeah. funny because the, the quote-unquote Euro comics, they really did have a reputation of WTF in terms of what what kind of story are they trying well, to tell? They, they brought us Barbarella, for goodness sake. Yeah, sakes. really. Right. <laughs> and let's face it, heavy metal, those covers are hard to beat. Yeah, <laughs> the art is the art amazing, and it's it what part of what makes it amazing is the the aesthetic behind it and the the approach to what what they were doing. There there uh, there is a lot of sexism, which after a while you just get so fucking tired. Overall, that there was an attitude about the art and an approach that I think that was really especially like with guys with like Moebius who really were damn yes. good artists. Remember when he set the comic book world ablaze when he did a Silver Server comic? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. One of the things I do find interesting about the the whole movie is that is it four stories that are told in it or is it three? Oh, I think it's four. I, I yeah, don't even four. know anymore. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's four. That's how memorable it is to me. But at least three of the stories were inspired by covers that had no story comic behind it. Oh, that's yes. interesting. Yes. So yeah. they, basically, they somebody looked at the cover and said, oh, this is a really awesome cover. This is inspiring me to write a story, and now we have to incorporate that cover into the story somehow. Was Tarna one of those stories? Uh, uh, I don't I, think that was one. Actually, I'm not uh, sure. I'm though. not sure about Tarna. The whole the whole Corvette but, scene at the beginning is yeah. is based off of a comic. You know, the, the shuttle, the Corvette coming out of the shuttle, and so forth. I thought the uh, the the undead on the the bomber on, on the bomber the B17. Yeah, that one is also based on uh, a comic cover. Uh, comic cover. Jeez, yeah, I can't yeah. talk to. You. But uh, um, I know those two for sure. Uh, and then the the, the weird looking spaceship that's in that that middle story that the happy face spaceship? yeah the happy face spaceship, which is an interesting part of the movie because it doesn't tie into any of the rest of the story whatsoever. Yeah. It's like the the first two stories and the final story are all tied together because of that the green orb the, the evil. That one is like just squeezed in there for right. who knows the what, what reason. Makes the fake robot guy in the Pentagon try to rape the secretary. Well, yeah, she's she's wearing it around her neck in a a necklace. Right, and then she gets rescued by the the druggies. Yeah. And there you... But I mean, sounds right. It develops a a relationship with the robot. It's a really weak tie-in based on (laughs) how much it's a part of the other story. You know what? I just realized... Guys, I just realized... (laughs) What's that? I want a heavy metal pitch meeting. Oh my. I want him to do that pitch meeting. Oh, that 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 would be great. <laughs> oh my god. You're right. That would be, right. That would Ryan be pretty awesome. would, <laughs> That would be a ball. He had a couple of good ones over the last week. He had one on uh the final installment of the the Hobbit trilogy that would enter the theaters and uh-huh. I never saw it. Me neither. And it showed me just how ridiculous that final film yeah. is. It 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 really went over the top. It was really funny because one person said, "You need to watch. You need to watch that last uh, episode of The Hobbit because there's some great Warhammer stuff in there." 
<laughs> I mean, come on. You've they got dwarves riding giant war goats. How, 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 that sounds you know, Warhammer fantasy yeah, exactly, battles to me. Exactly, exactly. How much more Warhammer can you get than dwarves riding war goats? <laughs> Which is true. And, <laughs> and of course, uh, what's-his-name's uh, uh, character is, is basically a, a clone of... Uh, Gore-Tex? Gorex? Gore- Gotex? I, I think it's Gotex. Gotrex. Something like that. Yeah, the, 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 the troll killer dwarf with the bright orange mohawk. Yeah, he did another one on the uh, the Twilight Saga, the final movie. Ooh, uh, I I only saw parts of the first one. I just couldn't bring myself. To I, never watch the rest. I never saw it. I never saw. So I never saw oh, the Jeff, other two. It's further than I expected you to go. I <laughs> thought I would try to see. Okay, is it really? <laughs> did as, you? Did wow! You you actually he, gave it a chance. It he was on totally, HBO. He totally totally could have used girlfriend to get a bailout. And, no. and and look at noble Jeff yeah. putting himself out there, not doing that. It was on I, HBO. I simply wanted to see if it was as bad as everyone. I am not taking everyone's said. word for it. I will watch this and make a decision for myself. And it was bad. <laughs> it was bad. The the acting is terrible. The the plot seems to have there seems to be no storyline there. Jeff, watching <laughs> Pattinson. Yeah. Sometimes you can see. This person is damn good. They're just in this funky thing. I mean, Pattinson has, I think his, uh, Lighthouse alone, the man's starting to prove himself. Sure. I, so so in, in, in Twilight, did any of that? No. And that's the thing. <laughs> no. I was, wow. I was, <laughs> I was a little more definitive than I was expecting. I will admit I was hesitant to see movies that were well-reviewed that had Pattinson in it because of the stigma that was attached to him from Twilight. Yeah. As many were. And he's proven, in my opinion, the naysayers wrong. He does right. have some acting chops. I, think, he has I think so. I think I'm I think you can see it. Having said that, right. seeing him in that first Twilight film, I understand the criticisms. <laughs> Whether I understand people I, loathing him. I don't necessarily think that it was his fault per se. Sure. I think it was a problem with script and direction. Okay. Well. Because all of the actors seemed like they were on the verge of just puking the whole fucking movie. I, I, I right. swear to God, they, they, they seemed like they were not, on the verge of being physically ill during the whole movie. That's not the first time I've heard that about that's uh, an, that's an odd acting Kristen I, Stewart. Yeah. I mean, like especially the interaction between the two of them. And like every time they, and they eventually each other, started it, dating. Yeah, it looks like they're both about to vomit. And I'm sitting there and I'm like I've worked with people like that, sure. I'm like yeah. what in they're supposed to be well, in love here? Maybe, they're supposed to be attracted to each other? They maybe certainly aren't exhibiting Maybe it's some kind of direction thing. Maybe it's I, a stomach I, bug. I feel like it was a direction thing. I, I do think it's a combination. Do of, that again, do that right. again, but this time incorporate the you want the vomit. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> you love him so much, it makes you physically ill. Go, yes, go. go. Run with go. this. Run with this. Good, good, good. There you go. So, uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, I'm with you, Kay. I, I, I really do feel like he's finally the starting man's got to, chops. to. Yes, he's man's finally starting to shed that stigma that was placed upon him, and and I will say unfairly, because I don't, I, I'm definitely sure that that Twilight movie saga that he was involved in was not a product of his acting ability. 
I think it was. I think his, that stigma was a consequence of him merely being cast in a movie. See, Mister Pattinson, you are excused. And and I get it. When you're a young actor, you, any paycheck you can get, truth, you take it. Goddamn truth. And sometimes when you're an older actor, any paycheck you can, truth. You can get. There you go. That's just a couple the things cast that popped of the into my head. Geek Shock is available for any movies that may be coming out. <laughs> Feel free to contact us at count comments at uglycouchshow.com. Uh, a few things I want to throw out there. Uh, the Geek Shock Book Club is reading Citadel of the Fallen by J.R. Conkle, one of our very own shock monkeys. It moves fast. Done good. Get 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 on that train because it's gonna it's gonna take you away. Now discussions have opened as of yesterday on the uh, Facebook page for the book club. Uh, also, the Monkey Gift Exchange, it looks like it's oh, happening again this year. Goodness. So you can go, uh, I believe Jake is running point on that once again. There you go. So you yeah, can go to the was, Shock Monkey's Lair and learn more about that there on Facebook once again. He was ad- very adamant about nothing being over $25 this year. Did, and did I, people not and observe the rules? Um, you'll have are, to ask are, him. Are Shock Monkey's rebels who just ignore the rules? You'll have to ask him, but my understanding was, yes, there are a few people that exceeded the $20, $25 or whatever it was oh, last dear. year. But I also heard that it's it the ones that did exceed it didn't exceed it by much. It was more like the spirit of, oh, this is close to 25 I don't think anybody well, went completely out of the way. More importantly, but. more importantly, folks, how does anybody find this out? <laughs> do, do people right. get up there and go, I got a $23.59 gift. Well, Yay. well, we didn't participate last year, so well, I, know. I, I guess we're... I know. Did you? Yeah. I didn't know that. I did. He doesn't tell us everything, Jeff. No, he doesn't. Yeah, I, I, I gave away one of the uh, signed, uh, the Couchman scripts that we all signed. Oh. And we did at uh, Scoop Fest. So you did a zero dollar. Yes. Wow. <laughs> worth so much more. <laughs> well, see, then you're the problem. You can't put a price on that, much like all works of art. <laughs> Which is another documentary, which is uh, fascinating, by the way. Um, it's I, it's on Netflix. There's, I, I haven't finished it yet, but there's a documentary about the, the art world and how basically the whole art exchange world is this one big, huge scam. And it, um, yeah, pretty much. It, uh, it centers around somebody from, uh, I think it was Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, and one of the artists from Bare Naked Ladies bought a painting that he eventually found out was like a forgery but then the art world doesn't consider some forgeries forgeries, and there's this whole big, deep thing behind it. It's, it's you had me a bare make naked ladies, Jeff. Yeah. What what little I've seen of it so far, it's yeah. fascinating. And I've seen a couple of other um, documentaries on the art world. And it's like you know, take a wooden box, slap a couple coats of paint on it that are you know off colors that you wouldn't normally see, and suddenly it sells for like. You know, thirty-five thousand dollars at an. Uh, I'd also an, like to announce auction. that my commissions are all full right now for for mini painting. Yeah, well, hey, yeah, <laughs> your your art's getting oh, dra- dramatically Cause underpaid because I'm getting because sl- I'm slapping the colors on. The more experience you get, the more you can charge, Torgo. <laughs> <laughs> so you're foregoing museum quality and going straight to slap and go. Oh, slap and go, baby. <laughs> I, I I will say I'm I'm almost done with uh, Matt Ship. Oh damn! I, I'm I'm finally on the final stretch of it. Picks or it didn't happen. Uh, oh, there'll be picks. Right. There will definitely be picks. But I'm very happy on how it's turning out. Wow! So it's it, it's it's been an, an arduous process. There you go. But damn it! It's it's whenever you do any kind of modeling or any kind of mini painting, you go through a phase which is 
a lot of uh, many painters call the the ass phase of the model, where it just looks bad and right. you don't feel like there's going to be any rectification for what has been done. But as you apply more paint and, and create more layers on it, then all of a sudden it becomes this beautiful masterpiece. I'm like, why did I even think that in the first place? But every single project, that happens. Every single one. I used to run into that when I'd watch Bob Ross on PBS. It's like he'd, he'd start off with something and something would look really good and then he'd take some like a different color and smear over it. And I'm like, why are you ruining it? And then he'd go in and fill in the details. And then you're like, oh, I see now why. But it's like, it's like, oh, that's starting to look cool. That's starting to look, oh my God, you just ruined it. Oh, now I see what you were doing. And that does look good. I've been going through storage this week. Uh-huh. Uh, my, my mother is closing up a storage unit that I've been partially using as well. And so I have to go through stuff to get rid of it. Uh, but in that storage unit, I do have uh, an original Bob Ross. I remember, yeah, you, your, your Whoa, dad, your dad, his dad had a few a, of them. Okay? What a happy accident. My, my father took uh, painting lessons from Bob Ross. Get the fuck Because he, he lived in Muncie, which is a half hour away from us. So, mm-hmm. so that's how my dad learned oil paint was from Bob Ross himself. <laughs> so he became somewhat friends with him. I still remember, like, the first time I went to visit Todd in Indiana, walking through the house, and I'm, like, looking at these paintings, like, oh, these paintings are really cool. And I'm, like, looking at the bottom of one of them, and I'm like, uh, Todd, why does this say Bob Ross in the corner? <laughs> and he goes, it's because Bob Ross painted that. My dad knows him. And you said it so nonchalantly. Like it was just, you know, it's like it was no big deal. Like my dad Gro- knows Bob Ross. Growing <laughs> up, I had no idea how popular he was. And, I, I and, and even more so how popular he became since. He was just a guy that was on PBS that showed some oil painting stuff. Right. And I, I had no idea he had that huge of a following. Which, uh, by the way, your dad's, you know, I I may have mentioned it on here before, but your dad's uh, education through him turned him into a really amazing artist. Uh, He, Todd's dad did some amazing paintings over the years that I had the privilege to see that he would show me and sometimes works in progress that were just, I mean, literally worthy of being in a museum. And I am not exaggerating, folks. That's kind of you to say, Jeff. Well, it's true. I, I love my dad's art. I appreciate it. Uh, we did get a letter. I wanted to wait till Kay was back on the show before I ah. I brought this up. Oh dear. Uh, I don't I don't have the letter here because it was it was more of a bill of sale oh. than it was a letter. Oh, right, uh, If you're not familiar out there um, with the game Hero Quest, yes. All right, Hero Quest is a board game that was put out in the like, early '90s. And it was kind of an introduction for a lot of people to a miniature board game of sorts. Didn't um, Sierra Online have some issue with that? Because like they, like they had the King's Quest, which became Hero's Quest, but then the board game had that name, and there was they, like they, some kind of a back and forth between might have them legally. Some shit, but whatever, it was Hero's Quest that got released. Okay, and uh, just thought maybe you'd remember because it's been a long time. Sure, it didn't. It didn't do well. In the States. It sold some, but it didn't do great. Right. And it was mostly sold in the States, from my understanding. Uh, but there's a lot of people who had that game and have a, uh, a strong nostalgic feeling toward that game. And it is now under, I think, I don't can't remember who put it out. Was it Hasbro? I, I'm not sure. But there has been a Kickstarter that has started up in the last six months. Oh, yeah. Uh, to bring back HeroQuest in its original form plus some add-on stuff with much better minis. And Dave Arader, 
Dave Arader is one of the uh, our, our earliest fans, our, our original yes. patron. Yes. Back when there was no podcast and there was just the Ugly Couch show. Yep. This, this fledgling little video show that was flailing out in the land of blip. Yeah. Blip TV. And uh, Dave Arader bought us, had, in our name will be sent to us, a copy of this new hero quest. Oh wow. Whoa. And and not only did he buy us Hero Quest, he got us the whole shebang. Like oh, the, geez. the big version that has the original game and all the expansions and all the extra stuff that comes with it. So so he's tired of seeing the Gloomhaven stuff already? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So Dave Raider, thank you so much yeah, for getting this for us. And when it finally comes out, uh, we will be uh, playing this game i will i will run whichever gentlemen want to be involved in right. hero quest because by the time this is actually out covid will be uh on its way out mm-hmm. so we'll be able to play sure one, sure it will one hopes yes yeah, Although, this is me being an optimist right now andy's crying he's like <laughs> oh, another game <laughs> so dave raider uh, again you you've just shown yourself to be an uh, amazing supporter of the great show old dave and, raider and, and super generous with this gift in particular and uh, i can't wait to share it with the guys we need to so open up you. a patreon just to you know give give dave raider a, an outlet for his <laughs> emotion just what i need to put together yet another patreon channel <laughs> Wait, say this would be a separate Patreon? Yeah, this, really. What? This, you this got would your be the own Dave Raider, going on? The Dave Raider only Patreon? That's not, that sounds like what Kirsten was saying. No, I was just saying let's oh. get our started. So, you know, Dave Raider can. But I mean, hey, I'm not going to argue with Hero Quest so long as right. Todd keeps it in his, in his closet. All what? I, I, what? Ha- I have a feeling what? Todd is going to come over here, run the game, and then he's going to leave and the game is going to be here. Much like Paul used to come to our yes. place and just leave his toys there for us to keep forever, <laughs> I kind of do the same with board games at Kay's place. Mind if I leave this here on this shelf for you guys? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you're if anybody anyway. wants this, it'll be right here. <laughs> <laughs> he puts it on one of your shelves. Yeah. I love it. That's how he cleaned out his place for Anne. <laughs> He just put his toys on our shelves and left them. I'm, I'm not going to complain because he has a bunch of cool Mandarin spawn that he... Yes, he did. He gave me. Absolutely. No, he's given us wonderful things throughout the years, so. but he's also given us a lot of crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we love you for it. Uh, I finally saw, after years of not watching it, Oh. Uh, right? What's finally, this, what's this finally Torgo watched something that oh, he's God. neglected all these years. Uh-huh. If... I watched Event Horizon. Really? Yes. Oh. Finally got around to seeing the Lovecraft in space. Yes. Um, and maybe it was just the the years of it being built up. In, oh in, in. <laughs> no! Oh God, Jeff. Yeah. But but I I I did not. Uh, I wasn't all that impressed. Overall, uh, I I what I really want is to see the movie it was supposed to be. Because mm. I know that that movie got I- interrupted from higher ups, and they had to rejigger that thing around. Mm-hmm. And I-, I would love to see that original R cut that they had to piece away. Because uh, there's there's a a great movie in there, but it's just becomes kind of a I don't know. It's messy. It's it's just plain messy. Yeah. That, don't get me wrong. There there are great moments in it. There there are parts I really enjoyed in it, and Sam Neill can do no wrong. But I, I 
I, I guess I wanted something a little meatier than it was. Um, I will admit that I liked it better the first time I saw it than I did on subsequent viewings. That's so, hilarious. So you're I saying could, I shouldn't watch it again. I could, <laughs> I could understand, given the amount of time between when it was released till you actually watching it, why you would feel that way. I can, I can, I can understand. And maybe it is, maybe it is the amount of time and the growth of uh, sure. sci- science fiction horror films sure. since then that makes a lot of sense. Oh, we're so spoiled now. Yeah. So at, if I'd maybe seen it at the time, I would probably have love and nostalgic love for it. Yeah. It's something day. that was taken and built upon over the last what? Has it been twenty years now since that came out? Thereabouts. Sure. It's like the Goonies. You grew yeah. up with it. You loved it. Sure. You didn't grow up with it. You're like, what the fuck is this dumb movie? Right. I like. I watched Event Horizon a few like a, within the last year, and I liked it more rewatching it than oh. I did the first time. Really? First time I was like, ah. you know, I gave my my generous. Eh, it wasn't bad, you know, but <clears throat> it was sort of like, eh. But uh, I agree with you that it was that is messy. You know, it you you get that you get that feeling as the movie progresses that there there's some kind of suit involvement saying this character needs this, this has to happen. Uh, this, you got to have something here. There's a lot of that you felt. I felt twenty three years. Well, ago. Well, to put it like Arlie Ermey would, uh, the best part of that movie ran down the crack of his mother's ass and let, ended up as a stain on the mattress. Wow. <laughs> Tell us wow. your true feelings, Todd. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of Full Metal Jacket uh, coverage on YouTube this, this week. Full Metal <laughs> Jacket <laughs> coverage. A lot, lot of video oh, essays. My goodness. Arlie Ermy is the shit. Oh, yeah. Oorah! What else you do this week, guys? I've been watching Time Ghost Armies uh, World War II. Time Ghost Armies? Yeah, our Time Ghost Army. They're the guys who do the World War One week by week in real oh, time. Oh, okay. And they're doing World War Two, And they've entered into their 30-day stretch when they're going to do Pearl Harbor. And they're mm. going to do a special five-hour, minute-by-minute coverage of the Pearl Harbor attack and the Japanese launching of its assaults in the South Pacific on December 7th. They'll actually release that. Oh, wow. um, so they're they're actually going to be doing that. That'll be a very ambitious, and it's it. They're turning out to be a very comprehensive yeah. documentary. <clears throat> and as their Patreon grows, they do more and more. I mean, they're now putting out like at least two episodes a week, where they're discussing things and going over stuff for the the week in World War II. So wow. it's very cool. That's great. So they're okay. building up to that. That that reminds me. Um, there's a new movies with Mikey that was just put out on Mario and the history of um, Nintendo developing that character. It's re- it's a it's a like a 42 minute long Mario. 42 minutes. Yeah, there's 42 minutes of Mario out there in the world. Movies oh, with Mikey, he can make it work. Well, I guess. so if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, movies with Mikey is always great. Uh, he he does. A lot of fantastic research. I mean, there were things I learned in there that I had no idea about, and I thought I knew a lot about the you know the early days of Nintendo. And, and uh, now, with the way movies with Mikey works, is at uh, how many times did you come close to crying? Because <laughs> he does with, that to you, yes, he does. the with, bastard. 
I will say with this one, I didn't, but some of the others he's done. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, especially dude, like, his 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 Star Wars thing when he yeah. talked about uh, when he talked about Force Awakens is a fucking clinic on what Star Wars is really all about. Right, and it's just amazing. Well, his two parter on Star Trek: The Motion Picture was really, really in depth. Like, I've seen other behind the scenes looks at Star Trek: The Motion Picture and the difficulties they had getting that movie made and getting it into theaters, right, right. you know, between the special effects house not returning their <laughs> their their projects on time or at all, and having to switch midstream, et cetera. But there was a lot I learned uh, about Star Trek: The Motion Picture in that movies with Mikey two parter. So if you're a Star Trek fan, you should absolutely check out that two parter that he does on that. But this this one with Mario was. Really, really fascinating. He dug deep in this one. Damn. I mean, that that kind of beats my whole heavy metal pitch meeting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. I got a wild hair up my ass this week. And, oh. Right? I hate when it happens. And uh, I, I decided to go on to Pinball Effects 3. Oh. Uh, I played on the PlayStation. And just... The people who are my friends, I don't have a lot of friends on PlayStation because of the whole, Sure, I just don't like online play overall. But I am friends with uh, Jeff Harris, Jake Godbold. And I decided I'm going to go play Pinball FX3 tonight and I'm just going to try to beat every single one of their possible scores on every pinball machine I can find that we have that that match. Wow. And and I proceeded to just plain do that. So, (laughs) (laughs) So for a few, about three and a half hours... Like Saturday night. That's bored. <laughs> yes. I just played pinball. I said, okay, I see Jake plays this one, so I see that score. That is my goal. Oh, looks like both Jake and, and Jeff both play uh, the Deadpool one, so let's do that one next. And and, and proceeded just to, to to punch at their scores. So, is, Wow. Is Pinball Effects the one that has the new Mandalorian table, or is that a different competing... Uh, platform. I'm going to guess that's Pinball FX. They t- they tend to have the Star Wars license. Because I, I only briefly saw like a like a 10 second clip of like the introduction video. You know how they do that swoop through the table and <laughs> you see all the cool little things there. Like that would be so cool if they could do that in real life, but there's no way they could do that in real life. So I was so wondering I'm, if that was it. So I'm going to do something a little rare here. Okay. Uh, I'm actually going to uh, uh, open up to any monkeys that play on the PlayStation for one. And they play Pinball FX3. Uh, if they they want to challenge these scores, and feel free, because I'm good, not great. My handle on PlayStation, and yeah, I'm putting this out there for the first time in years, is uh, Mr. Torgo. Because for some reason, they wouldn't let me use the word master. In, <laughs> in... <laughs> is it Mr. spelled out or just no, MR? No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spell it out for okay. you. So don't worry, I'm getting there. <laughs> so Mr. Torgo, it's uh, it's capital M, small r, and then Torgo, all capital letters. MR Torgo, one word. But if you send me a friend invite, friend request, uh, please put on there in the 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 statement that you can make to during that friend request that you are a listener to Geek Shock. Or just being put, just put Geek Shock on there if you don't want to write out a whole, much. Uh, just because over the years I've gotten friend requests of all the weird scammers that are out there. And yeah. 
We we offer cracked codes for games on PlayStation and and weird sexy names that are obviously some kind of kind of porn cam hookup. Yeah, like Master Torgo. Right. Yeah. So so if you please if you do send that to me, please put that uh, Geek Shock somewhere in the in the re- the request line, and then uh, then I will accept your friend invite. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to assume you're some weird scammer. <laughs> Let's admit it. If they're a Geek Shock fan, they're weird. <laughs> we know our own. You guys are weird. But we love you as you are. Yeah. Love as you are. As Anything a- else, guys, before I move on? Before Did- you move on. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't you have a pitch or something you wanted That's to do? That's right. What pitch? But first, I got a winky. <laughs> what, uh, I'm sorry? Really? What? Wow. Okay. Wow. I thought he was just making fun of the f- of Professor Biggs there, but no, he actually the f- has to fireball just moved right through him, and I there he goes to the bathroom. Guess so God, I'm having real. I'm goddamn Paul flashbacks again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so. Have you know what? We will move on to email. Yeah, but if it were Paul flashbacks, he'd be gone for half an hour, <laughs> and then come out and right. say, "Do not go in there for a while." Yeah, that sounds right. So like we would do in the Paul days, we will just move on to a little bit of mail. Uh, first piece of mail says, uh, this is from Jake. Okay. Uh, it says, you know what I forgot to mention in my last email? Hey, fuckers. First, a quick follow-up. This, if you remember, this is the saga of when he got sent back a damaged signed Tim Curry uh, picture or figure or something yes. like that. He's, so he's, he's following up with this. Hey, yes, I got the figure. And yes, I got the autograph Tim Curry figure and 11 by 17 Pennywise, but okay, I got plans for it. And yet, they sent me the wrong figure. Are you serious? But that's okay. When I told them they sent me the wrong figure, they offered to send it back. I offered to send it back, and they said, keep it, we'll fix it. We'll make it right. Oh, that's right. I do remember he said they sent. So I thought this was they sent him the, uh, the wrong figure again. Yes, that's what I am saying, Jeff. Oh, Jesus! So this they sent him two incorrect figures. Yes. Wow. And they said, "Keep it. We'll fix it. We'll make it right." So Galaxy Con, they will take care of you. Uh, now on to you, Todd. Thank you for reminding me of Opryland. Like you, Opryland was where I learned to kill my fear of roller coasters. God damn, do I miss the Delta Demon ride. But I'm surprised that you didn't talk about Chaos, the indoor pitch black roller coaster they had. But it got me wondering, did you ever go to Holiday World where in my, it, while in my neck of the woods? Something tells me you wouldn't pass up on the beloved Ra- Raven roller coaster, signed Jake. Uh, well, I'll, I'll address the first part. Uh, the Delta Demon ride, the indoor one, did not exist when I went to Opryland. Wow, you're old. I am. Yeah, that that was. They did not have an indoor roller coaster then. Jake's Jake's just a kid. They they were still excited about their corkscrew roller coaster back then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just impressed they made a cor- uh, a roller coaster out of corkscrew. Well, it's it's an art. Mm. Uh, as for the second part, you know, I never made it to Holiday World in my entire time oh, living in Indiana. If you're not familiar, Holiday World is a it's it's a holiday theme, but t- really, it's a Santa Claus themed theme park that's in southern indiana oh and it's been independently owned and operated for ages and they have one of the if i remember right the raven is one of the oldest existing wooden coasters in the u.s uh and i'd love to ride it but i i never did get there jake and and i'm sorry that i didn't uh 
much like Indiana Beach, the Holiday World was kind of a seen on a lesser tier of well, yeah, of amusement parks. Let us be gentle, right? I'm trying. Okay, and we could instead take that same amount of time and take the highway to go to Cincinnati to <laughs> Kings Island. Ah, and so take that same amount of time. <laughs> So, no, Holiday World, though I would pick up the brochure when I stopped at the Sheridan, uh, I I never went to it. (laughs) I always was fascinated with the amount of amusement parks there are in the Midwest and and how so many of them are within just a few hours of each other and how they would maintain any kind of success considering how... It's amazing. It's I, like, do those people have anything else to do? Because I know that, like, when Six Flags was expanding, a lot of times they're like, "Oh, I'm, we're, we want to build this park here," and then they're like, "Oh, wait, it's too close to this park, this park, and this park." So why would people want to come to our park? Is so they would look for other areas to put it because yeah. of how close it was. I to know. Other. I remember. I remember um, uh, Cedar Fair. And they're yeah. like, oh, they're based in Sandusky. Yeah. Now, I had family in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. So I was aware of Sandusky, Florida. So I'm like, oh, wow, but that's actually a pretty good place to have a, an amusement park. No, Sandusky, Ohio. Yes. Yeah. These are all places that close for the winter. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was just like, what, what? And then I hear about the Cedar Fair Empire. And it's just like. Yeah, it's the, amazing. There's just. There's, there's just, you're right. That, what the, it's like the industrial Midwest was all about building those roller coasters. Doesn't Cedar Fair have something like six parks within a hundred square miles? I believe so. A hundred mile radius of their headquarters in Sandusky, something like that. I thought so, yeah. It's something ridiculous like that. It's amazing. So so one day, Jake, I do hope to eventually go to a holiday world if it does survive. Uh, It's the the older independent ones are are all having a tough time, not just now, but even before all this. Uh, Oh, actually, you know what? It's funny. Um, I forgot to mention it on the show last week. Things that I found out recently because there's a there was a little um, YouTube video on it. Spirit Halloween is owned by Spencer Gifts. Did you know this? No, but it's probably the smartest decision Spencer ever made. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, in the two months that each of those Spirit Halloween locations are open, it's something like 50% of their corporate bottom line for the year. So they do almost 50% of their total sales in just those two months There's a reason because they bought that chain. There's a reason why people run haunted houses if they can. Haunted houses are extremely profitable. So profitable that they work four months out of the year. Two months of that is prep. One part is getting set to uh, an an opening, and the last part is tear down and storage. They they don't work for the rest of the year because they don't have to because they made that money in that one month. One of the things I did find fascinating about it in uh, in this little YouTube video, though, is Spirit Halloween is one of the few companies that does not discount and clear its costumes at the end of the season. They pack it up and then either bring it back out next year at a slight discount or what is another interesting thing they do with it is they'll send little bits of that stock to their various Spencer stores around the U.S. And that way they are really not saddled with a lot of back stock 
and it's not just sitting there taking up space in a warehouse. It's actually continuing to be sold. It's pretty damn smart. Or at least in, in the cases of some of the stuff that doesn't sell, they bring it back the following year. Because a lot of those costumes just don't go out of date. It's just one well, of those little things I found. Until expensive. you're wearing them. Well, yes. Then, sure. you, then you go on a date. <laughs> especially when you're wearing sexy serial killer. Well, you're not going to take a date out wearing an Austin Powers crushed velvet suit? No, that's your bag, Jeff. It is my bag. Baby. <laughs> it's my bag, baby. Yeah. Kirsten, you have a pitch. Some sort yeah. of pitch that you want to make yes. to us and uh, obviously the monkeys as well. Right. Bear in mind, Kirsten, we are in news you don't give a shit about right now. Not yet. Uh, we haven't started any of There no. you go. There you go. Look, Te- technically, we're still in mail. I no. was I was listening to last week, and and you were talking about Battlestar Galactica and how you were just not interested. Yeah. What could be? What, what possibly could they what do? Possibly to what? What interesting thing could they still have to say? And uh, and I was like, challenge accepted. Okay. So yeah. you so are you pitching me a TV show or a movie or both? Uh, I'm pitching you a TV show. Oh wow. All okay. Right. Now I am intrigued. Yeah. Okay. Now one of the things about adapting stuff, reimagining sequels, whatever you want to do, especially when you go from like kid stuff, is you've got to shed the whole adult attitude towards campy or towards kid-like. The key really is to embrace it with all the, the seriousness that the kid took from it. And I think that's the key to success. All right. Case in point, Galactica 1980. Yeah, that trash fire. There's a scene, (laughs) and I believe it's in the pilot. All right. And it might even be the it might even be the first scene. This might be an episode of actually seen, Jeff. Yeah. This is the scene where there's a conference, they're watching some video, and they're watching Cylons attack Earth. And basically it was really funny because they took footage from the movie Earthquake. I remember that. And then they had Cylon Raiders just swooping in, and they'd like be pew, 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 hitting the building, and then the building would collapse. This is the one you've seen. This is the one that you had me show you. And then you see people going, ah, as shit falls on them. That was so, watching that as an adult was such a disheartening moment. I know. But, Jeff, Jeff, as a kid, Uh right? As a kid, you're sitting there. And part of me, I was old enough that I'm like, this is. This is shit from Earthquake. <clears throat> but part of me was also like, ooh, the Cylons have attacked Earth. That's actually pretty cool. And so I got to thinking. Galactica finds Earth after the Cylons have. Okay. They show up at an Earth six months, maybe a year after the Cylons showed up. Now, let's just introduce a bit of parody here so we can have dramatic tension. All right. It'll be one base star by some fluke, maybe, found Earth, or maybe they found some key in the great search and they just beat Galactica to it. But it's just one base star and they haven't gotten word back to Cylons that they found this Earth. But they have started a war with it. And Earth has defended itself a little bit, 
you know. They managed to, before being totally wiped away, they threw nukes onto rockets and sent them into space, and they might take out some uh, raiders and maybe do a little damage to the base star. But when the Galactica gets there, the war is still ongoing. Now, let me pause you for just a second. Are you talking like original style Battlestar Galactica yep. with the robotic Cylons. So yep. you're, you're not talking the humanoid that could easily infiltrate the Earth. Fuck going, that baloney. Okay, just, just I, I wanted to clarify. Fuck that shit. Okay. Not, not a fan Cylons thing? are robots. <laughs> if I may continue. Yes, I just wanted to. It's not invasion of the body snatchers. That's right. <laughs> now, although if you work me on that, I'll figure out a way to incorporate it. I could work you on the K. But you end up with a Galactica around the moon scoping out this post-apocalyptic Earth with not 7 billion humans, but 700 million under attack from a Cylon base star. And the first season is the Galactica helping Earth out, attacking the base star. Maybe driving it off. Figuring out why the base star hasn't contacted the Cylon Empire and let them know, here's Earth, come and destroy. Maybe there's something wrong with hyperwave or whatever the fuck the faster-than-light communication is. But they make sure to block that their transmission so they cannot communicate. And they're helping them fight it off as they introduce themselves to Earth. And Earth finds out there are humans out there. And then there's all the implications of there were humans out there before there were humans here. WTF. If you want to talk about the, old, the new Battlestar, maybe you can fold that in there. But that's your business if you want to you know, coddle that kind of audience. You know what I'd like to see in the second season? The aliens from V come in. Ah, <laughs> aliens from and, V. And, and, they, and they, they, want to, they want to do their harvesting on a mostly decimated planet because now they have access to all the sure. the resources that they need. They don't have as much food, obviously, but right. there's some food left to pick up. True. And right. so you have the V versus the Cylons versus the Galactica. Right. The only well, problem but- with that, the only problem with that, Todd, is second season, while the Earth and Galactica are cooperating and trying to build a new battle star, the Earth Battlestar, Pegasus shows up, which is a good thing that Commander Kane- Not and, the horse. Right. Okay. Commander Kane and the Pegasus show up because that's when the base star finally gets through to the Cylon Empire and the Cylon Empire starts rolling in. Ah. In second season. And the V people are quaking in their boots. That they, well, they get pushed aside because they're just- they're they're lizards, right? So they yeah, might well, so they might actually join up with the humans to deal with the Galacticus. Yes, but the, the original Cylons, Cylons were very lizard-like. So if you're going to talk about in the original series, the yeah. lizard-like Cylons and then the lizard aliens in V, they're, they're are they offshoots of one another? Oh shit, like, Jeff! And they probably <laughs> hate them. Like, like there was one side that went to another planet and the other one that settled and they yeah. changed their name. They are the same. They're just different civilizations with the same race. Like the Vulcans and the Romulans. Yes. And then third season is when the Earth Battlestar is finally made. And then you got tensions between the Galactica and Pegasus 
uh, officer class who are insisting on leading the Earth battle star, even though it'll be crewed by Earth people. But then that's when they begin pushing the Cylons back. And then the fourth season is when the debate begins, do we eradicate the Cylons or not? Because there's going to be people on all sides who are like, fuck those guys. Get rid of them. They attacked us. Both Earth and the Galactica people have that argument, the, col the colonials. But then there will be people who are like, no, 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 no. We just need to beat them and tell them to lay off. And that'll take you to fourth season. So you're saying the Earth builds a battle star. Do they delve deep into like, you know, the 13th tribe that settled on this planet? No. Maybe buried some no. technology that they find nope. that? It's no, it's because... They build the, it from scratch. It's, no, it's because the Galactica people, you didn't listen to me. You, no, were, I, I, you were busy listening to his little <laughs> V thing. The Galactica people introduced themselves to Earth. Yes, I understand that And the part. Galactica people are like, you know what? We've got 50,000 people in our fleet. And we have science and technology. Technically, we could even build a Battlestar if we weren't fucking running across the galaxy and if we actually had a planet where we could actually sit tight and we had more than 50,000 people. You've got 700 million humans and a planet full of resources. With our science and technology and your resources, we can build another Battlestar. Well, I just meant, could they incorporate... Because clearly the 13th tribe had to get there somehow. Maybe. So there has to be at least some kind of remnants of that technology, maybe long since buried and forgotten. And maybe. Maybe I don't, locate I don't, it. I don't, I don't see a point to it because a lot of it would be about technological exchange between the Galactica and the Earth people. Not to mention, if you want to get Ronald D. Moore deep into this, there's the whole implications of the major religions of Earth dealing with the fact that there were humans out there before they ever got to Earth. I do like that. And that's going to be a big-ass fucking thing to deal with. But it, it has to be dealt with. Well, would they have to data? Yeah. Would they have to address how it would just completely destroy all the religious archetypes that were I don't know. on planet Earth. How deep do you want to go? That's how you explore it, yeah. How, do you, how deep do you want to go? Or do you want to see elements of ancillary religious sects emerging going, oh, this is what they meant by, um, what is it, uh, Gabriel's wheel? I forget the, Paul talked about it. It's the one angel description in the Old Testament that it, it sounds like The wheel like upon a, a wheel thing? Yeah, it sounds like a spaceship. Where they're like, oh, because, I mean, of course, that was the original foundation of the original Battlestar to begin with, was that, you know, some say life here began out there. Who in the hell are you, are you worshiping then? And are there people on earth going, oh, no, you guys are missing out. You mean, you've obviously forgotten about God. And the Galactica people are like, no, we have the Lord uh, of Cobalt. Duh. You know. Right. If you want to get that deep into it. Sure. And then to offset the deepness in the sixth season, you have Auto Man and Manimal teaming, teaming up with the Duke Boys and Ponch and John, ah. and they all go at it. Nah. Ah. They're dead because of the Cylons. <laughs> we'll have a special scene where they actually all get killed by a raider strafing them. Okay, I, I compromise that. Yeah. You, know, you see that General Lee blow up. It'll <laughs> cost us a lot of viewers in uh, the heartland, but... <laughs> See you around this time, Boss Hall got up into the Battlestar. So. <laughs> so basically, you're looking at a post-apocalyptic Earth being rescued 
by the Galactica, which is on its last legs and doesn't know what the fuck it can do. It's a neat idea, around. Kay. Yeah, you, you pretty much have you sold on it. I would, mm-hmm. certainly I would a, watch this. Certainly a far better idea than Galactica 1980 was. Well, yeah. Well, well Galactica 1980... Is. Manimal was a better dude, idea. Dude, it was funny because Galactica 1980 was purely budget. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like, we're not going to do special effects, so you're going to have to figure out your way around that. Yeah, Tales but, of the Gold Monkey was a better show. Than but that. if you sat there... Because they, they'd already struck like 90% of the sets when they right. when they got the, the, man. the new series. Raiders sweeping in and destroying buildings and just ruining Earth. That could have been one hell of a show. There, there, are some, there are some TV series that are like... There are a lot like Defiance and so where they take place post-alien invasion. But we would sort of be going mezzanine and, you know... I mean, I literally want the pilot to open with the Galactica going, we found Earth, and they open up the Televite viewer, and they're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> you know? Cut to commercial. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. That's my pitch. <laughs> I like it. Green light. You see, and you have you have the, the Cylon red eye, you know, going back and forth, and as it goes back and forth, it strobes to reveal the lettering. Automan. That eventually solidifies into Galactica oh. 2025. Or Galactica Aftermath. <laughs> That's not a bad... It's, it's overused, but it's still not a bad title, Jeff. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> As opposed to 2025, it just, which yeah. is... That's, you know... It's, it, it's got a limited window, but it'll work. So that's my pitch for a Battlestar Galactica series you would watch. I accept. V, regardless. No, V's got to be a part of it. Otherwise, I don't greet it. <laughs> well, you, good luck getting that permission. Or oh, did, please. I can get the rights for like seven bucks. Oh. <laughs> wow. I'm glad, I'm glad you're insisting on including this property you can buy for seven bucks. Jesus, can you throw in an extra, make it an even 10 and get Robert England to show up? Yikes. <laughs> nah, England's too expensive. I can see today. it now. Battlestar VV. Yes. Battlestar VV. <laughs> there you go. Let's do some news you don't give a shit about. I'll bet I do. Oh, good luck with this. This, oh, when, when I read this, I, I, I just, I stopped everything I was doing and went to my wife and I said, Sweetheart, this is our lead story today. This, there's no way through it. The fact that this happened is our lead story. Ah, here we go. News don't give a shit about GameStop appears to have canceled a company-wide contest that awarded Black Friday work hours in exchange for a TikTok dance. GameStop was going to give two workers an extra short shift if they pulled off a synchronized dance and the best one would, would win. After the internet pointed out just how terrible of an idea that was, the competition disappeared from the GameStop employee site. Uh, the Gamer, that's a website, uh, picked up on this contest from GameStop's conference portal. The site is a hub for GameStop's annual company conference, but also as a section for employee contests. If you go to the portal now, you'll see the, the usual competitions like selling the most copies of Watchdog Legion or building the best Xbox Series X display is still there. Uh, before, though, there was a contest that challenged store managers to get their employees to perform a dance on TikTok. Uh, they were supposed to dance to Red Red Wine, the 
<laughs> the, the UB40 cover. <laughs> it, it that's yes, that's it, was a, called, it was called hashtag Red Wine Challenge. That's a dance song. It's that's what they're supposed <laughs> to dance to, a song about drinking away your red, troubles red because of the wine. loss of a loved one. Jeez. Uh, quoting from the contest, quote: "The winner of the challenge will receive an Echo Eight, Echo Auto." a $100 Visa gift card, and 10 additional labor hours to use during Black Friday week. Unquote. 10 additional labor. You get more work. Uh, continuing, quote, imagine what you could do with all these prizes. Unquote. <laughs> that's, that's a quote. It, it seems like something to make up, but it isn't. Uh, GameStop store locations have set a have a set number of hours that they can schedule employees each week. And the idea was that the extra 10 hours could give them a bit more breathing room during one of the most difficult periods in the holiday season. Uh, 2020 has seen the company resort to some unorthodox practices. Uh, Its response to the Xbox Series X pre-order demand was to create a fake queue to lighten its server load. Uh, when stay-at-home orders were going into effect, the company tried to claim it was essential so it could stay open. The state of Massachusetts had to intervene to force a store to close. Uh, now it seems the company would ask employees to compete for extra store hours and calling it for fun. Well, I think it. I have to applaud corporate HR for at least trying to resolve last year's get more hours by going down on your manager contest. <laughs> which, which, which a lot of companies have. You know, yeah. But, I mean, let's face it, today's Supreme Court just isn't going to let that happen. <laughs> that company needs to just be <laughs> dismantled. There are amazing people that work at GameStop. They just don't work higher up. No. Yeah. Where, they where's don't. Mitt Romney when you need him to buy a company and dismantle <laughs> and, it and, and sell it for parts? <laughs> I just I, It's a matter of time, Kay. <laughs> I, I I constantly think I'm like the the most recent story I read about GameStop is like, well, it can't possibly get any worse than this. And GameStop's like, hold my beer. Oh, so this is your fault, Jeff. <laughs> it's it's it just floors me that in this time of people needing work that a company is using at a, a contest to offer people hours yeah. as a prize. Yeah. Fuck off. Dance dance on TikTok. Yes. Which is uh you know you know somewhere in there someone's like this is a great idea to get us exposure on social media. Oh yes, to kind of create try to create some kind of viral thing. Yeah. In in that manufactured corporate way that they keep trying to do that yeah. doesn't work. Dance for hours. Dance for more work to lighten the load. As opposed to, you know, we just give more hours to lighten the load. (laughs) And already these people are only given enough hours so that they can't actually get benefits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's... That's the whole point. Yeah, it's why the limit on the hours. It's... it's, Oh, it's it's, it's just a... Just late stage capitalism grossness. It's just awful, and it's it's funny too because it's definitely upper management yes. blindness. It's what it is. It's, uh, it's you, you. It's a separation from the upper to the lower. You want to sit there and think these fucking rubes. They're actually going to fall for this shit. No, no, they're upper management people who are thinking this is a great opportunity for their line staff 
to uh, get some extra stuff. Right. Sure. And, and, and people want to work more hours. Yeah. And so let's let's give that to them as an incentive. Well, let's let's have them fight for it on TikTok. <laughs> why don't we just why don't we just go to Spirit Halloween, buy some of those plastic weapons and just literally have them fight for it on TikTok. <laughs> or Pay them a living wage, give them adequate benefits. Shut and your socialist mouth, maybe, you filthy commie pig. <laughs> maybe their profits would still go up? No. Dance for your hours. Dance, monkey. <sighs> so gross. So gross. I, 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 what I saw, my, my brain imploded. Now, you know what would be really horrible is if during the recording of one of these dance-offs... It's one of those game stops that Paul goes to that midway during his visit gets robbed. Right, yes. And so they lock the door. And just off camera, you have guys with guns saying, don't do anything suspicious, keep dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and these poor little kids are just dancing for like an hour. <laughs> while the, while the, the masked oh. guys try to figure out how to open the safe. God, it's like a Kevin Smith film. <laughs> wow. Ah, news you don't give a shit about. Uh, Netflix is testing something called Direct, which would be a linear channel, a.k.a. a conventional TV channel that just plays a set programming in order. What? It, Netflix is basically making a TV channel uh, filled with films and TV that's normally available on Netflix. A test what? is currently underway in France uh, for the month. France? And then expanding across the country in, in December. Uh, many viewers, uh, I think it's in a city in France, and they're expanding to France overall. Uh, quote, many viewers like the idea of programming that doesn't require them to choose what they're going to watch, <laughs> Netflix says in a statement. Continuing, whether you are lacking inspiration or whether you are discovering Netflix for the first time, you could let yourself be guided for the first time without having to choose a particular title and let yourself be surprised by the diversity of Netflix's library. Unquote. Yes, analysis paralysis has brought us back to television. <laughs> I could see it being used as a way to discover something outside of what you would normally search for. But to say that it's a way for us to guide you into choosing something by having it be a constant stream, I, I just don't like the way they're they're pitching it. It's the phrase "constant stream" is not is not good in a pitch anywhere. No, you don't want to use really. it for a first date. That's for sure. Definitely not, or during a podcast for that. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow, you and your subtle hints, Todd. <laughs> So yeah, the Netflix channel, I don't know if this is something they're doing on Netflix itself, just saying this is a channel that we just run stuff constantly, just turn it on if you got nothing else to do, or if they're trying to incorporate into some other like YouTube streaming or something like that. I don't know how they're doing this. This TV station, NBC, it's still out there and it's still running shows. Let's compete with that. But if they do create some kind of channel whether it's cable or otherwise that would be like in broadcasting in some sort we have come full circle yeah pretty much <laughs> next next netflix but without pictures we just do audio i want netflix but i don't want the choice <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's saying this 
Next thing you know, they'll start putting ads in it. There you go. <laughs> it's that you then we're full circle. Because goddamn, am I the only one that's noticed that the YouTube ads have gotten way out of control lately? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've 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 talked about it a yeah. little bit on the show, but over the last two weeks, it's gotten extraordinarily bad. If the creators do not put a rein on it with what they can control, then it gets horrible. I, I there's a, a podcast that I enjoy listening to called Trapped Behind Plastic. Okay, and it's it's a it's a miniature painting hobbyist podcast. And they do the regular podcast that you find out on Stitcher and iTunes or whatever. Uh, but they also upload it to YouTube where they have the video version of them talking about whatever they're saying. But they don't have any controls that they put on there. And in the course of their hour and 10 long, 10 minute long show, there are 13 breaks of commercials in it. Jeez. And it's, it is, it's maddening because I, I like to go to bed listening to things. Right. right, that's what I've been doing lately, just to just to distract my mind enough to let the sleep take over. But waking up wanting to buy stuff is getting to you. <laughs> no, it's it's the jarring of when they're because you get a, a whether you're listening to some kind of video essay or mm-hmm. a podcast, something that is longer form. Uh, sure. The drone of the voice is is very constant along the way, but when one of those commercials pop in and it just punches you in the head and wakes you up. I watched one last week where they had the intro commercial, which is fairly standard with a lot of people's oh, YouTube sure, of channels. Course. But I am not kidding you. Two minutes into the video, it started the countdown. It's like ad in five, four, three, two. Watch the ad. And I'm like, okay, fine. They're back. It was a short one. It was like a five second. You know, so you didn't have to where I should say you weren't able to skip it because it was so short. But then they go into the meat of the the video and then halfway through an ad break pops in. And I'm like, okay, so that's three ads already in a 20 minute video. Go back into the video. I'm not kidding you, less than five minutes from the end of the video, an ad pops in. At one of those moments where you're literally waiting to see the summary of what the person is saying it interrupts the summary and then it comes back and then you have to wind it back to to kind of get the impression that the person that's doing this video is trying to you know the point they're trying to make their summary if you will and then another fucking ad pops in and i'm thinking okay have i missed the end of the video so I waited for it to come back, and then it came back, and all it was was the credits. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> I had one where <clears throat> it was along the lines of something going where the last line was, all right, so in uh, the the following, the events that followed will be covered next commercial. Yeah. Commercial over week credits. <laughs> yeah. It was literally like that. Yeah. It was just like, this is, this is kind of crazy. And yeah. it's funny because... If if these creators are okay with these ads appearing in there, couldn't YouTube give them a, hey, how about you give us a insert ad here? You know, and it's like a like a little digital signal. 
it's you know we're not talking like there are an some edit. that do you'll, yeah. you'll, you'll know just like if you can see the red the red letter media stuff mm-hmm. they they put their commercial breaks in between the movies that they're talking about they are they are well timed they have them planned out so yeah, but, but is that something maybe that's something you have to do and therefore it's easier to just say do your own fucking throw the ads in wherever it's perhaps been, it's been a while since i've uploaded any videos onto youtube but i do remember there used to be tools where you could go in and mark where in your video you would want ads inserted. So you could do, and we'll address that right after this. And, maybe, and, then, maybe, and then have them had that ad roll and then. Maybe okay. people are just not giving a shit. Um, or maybe, because um, do they know how many ads they're going to get? I mean. And they also that, changed it in the last month and a half. This is, yes. I mean, you know, there's been well, some like time Well, like Jeff now. said, you've noticed, uh, you've and he's right. I've noticed a preponderance. People were complaining about it before I noticed it, but I have noticed a growing trend in the stuff I'm watching. I will say sometimes people are just in a rush to get content up because the amount of time it takes to produce that content and trying to stay on a regular schedule, sometimes they'll just rush it on there. Oh, come on. Todd will tell you that's nonsense. To to go through the controls and... I don't have enough followers for ads. (laughs) But... But yeah, yeah, I mean, Todd, how do you do ads? It depends on it depends how. It's a great thing of having no followers. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on how interested you are in in going deep into the the uh, the controls. Okay, all right. I I should say the ability to control control the things in YouTube that you have some Mm -hmm. semblance of control over. YouTube still controls a lot of that stuff. Well, fuck them and their free service. Right, <laughs> a fine point. But it comes down to it. That's the twenty. That's the twenty-first century, right there. Fuck them and their free service. Yeah, geek shock and their free show. You just don't give a shit about Call what? of Duty, Black Ops, Cold War. Jeff, you still interested? Still think things things you care about and all these? No, I didn't think so. I just want to know: well, Does Soap get married? Does he have kids? Does he move forward in life? What happens to Soap? Soap is a uh, all washed up. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War is out soon, uh, but fans of the game are calling foul on Activision and Sony for what some are calling anti-consumer behavior. According to PlayStation blog post official, Call of Duty players have a distinct advantage on the PlayStation console. Typically, console exclusives amount to cosmetics or first-in-line advantages that don't change the way a game works. However, Sony has taken this concept to another level. In a blog post on October 23rd, the company announced several exclusives for Call of Duty players who choose to play on either PS4 or the PS5. Uh, First on the list was the Battle Pass bundles that allow PlayStation and only PlayStation players to skip 25 level tiers for $20. Next was the PlayStation Party bonus that gives PlayStation players a full 25% extra XP when they're in a party, even if their party members are playing on Xbox or PC. Wow. Uh, There will be exclusive monthly double XP events, 24-hour duration, quote-unquote, for PlayStation players, and two extra loadout slots that aren't available to any other consoles. All of that is in addition to a full year of exclusive access to the co-op Zombies Onslaught mode for the game. So anybody else has to wait a year for that. And that's more along the lines All of right. what they usually do. That, that affects Andy and I. Yeah. 
Uh, when you couple the three distinct XP advantages that players on PlayStation consoles have, the climb to the top of the new prestige rankings are in favor of those who play on the console. It remains to be seen if or how Sony and Activision will remedy the situation, if at all. Uh, for now, know that if you're playing Call of Duty, if you're playing on the PlayStation or somebody else is, whoever that is gets the advantage. Ugh. You know, it was really funny. Uh, Andy and I were playing Zombies uh, night before he left, and Duncan came down and was watching us for a bit, and he made a comment about, yeah, it's interesting. You get less points if you're you're blowing stuff up as opposed to if you're shooting it directly, and you get more points. If, and he's going on about the points, and I'm like, all I care about is the kills. I'm just I'm just killing fools. But it was interesting how Duncan, who is obviously reflecting that kind of approach to the game, was was analyzing how they parcel out points. Because he's right. Right. You know, it wasn't like his analysis was wrong. It's just that I don't care because Andy and I are just there to see how many zombies we killed if we make it to level 31. That's it. Well, the issue, though, is like, you're the minority of the group uh, that right. would play that game. Right. A lot of people that do play those games do think like Duncan and and do look for the maximum amount of points. It's, uh, about, maximum it's about getting ranks. It's about yeah, your ranking. Exactly. Right. Right. I mean, right. I I haven't cared about a Call of Duty game in I can't tell you how long, but I don't like the precedent that it's setting. Right. We're we're we we were for a good while. We got away from pay to play. Yeah, and on this stuff, the on the DLC. Sure, if you get the free games out there, then there's the stuff that you buy to pay to win. Yes. Uh, but when it comes to something that you buy, where it is the most important thing is the multiplayer ranking system. That's why yep. people play Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to put an advantage for one console version over another one is distinctly gross. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Especially when you think about the average household can only afford one console. You know, you know, parents can maybe only afford to buy one console for their kids and sure. and to have to come to that realization that well, for this particular game, I bought the wrong console and I can't do anything about it because I can't afford to buy the console that would give my child the advantage that yeah. everyone else has, I, and I, then just having to deal with that. It strikes me as, as more sleazy than, than exclusives. It's, oh, it's, it's very much more sleazy. You know? it's, it's le- it seems less like they're giving a small group of people an artificial advantage, and it seems like they're more giving a large majority an artificial handicap that they have to overcome. Yeah. In these games, sure. it, it, it comes you, across as more punitive. Yes, than yeah, yeah. If you have an Xbox, than beneficial. If you have an Xbox or if you have a Nintendo and you're playing this game, you will have to grind more to equal what the PlayStation person is getting on a regular play. Yeah, I, I, I have to say I've, I've renewed my, my stance that I'm going to probably wait until summer of next year to buy one or both of these new generation consoles at at the very least Um, beyond the fact that they will probably do that price drop that they've done with every console generation in the past. But just, I, I, I realize there are, when you consider games that are already out that are going to have enhancements for these new consoles, it just seems like the amount of original 
exclusive titles for each console is so low this generation compared to some of the past ones. For me, and I can only speak for myself, it seems like I have no incentive to be a launch day uh, buyer for either of these systems right now. Not to mention, I guess Sony's having some issues with the PS5 right now. The the uh, test consoles that are out there, they're having some overheating issues. Oh, which are uh, they? Which uh, I thought was funny because considering the amount of time and effort they spent into enhancing the cooling system for this new generation com- based on the complaints of a lot of the install base uh, over uh, the PS4 and how it sounds like a can sound like a jet engine when it's overheating in when the it's cooling really system. Yeah, when those fans kick on. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's I I, I don't want to say it's rumor territory because some tech blogs have already reported on it. Places like Engadget, CNET, and so forth. But because there's such a limited number of these sure test consoles being yeah. sent to, we won't know until they get yeah. to people's homes. And not to mention the fact that. Uh, a lot of the people that are reviewing these consoles have various levels of embargo laid against them, so they can talk about some things, but they won't be able to t- talk about others <sighs> until corruption late, and gaming later in November. And and some of them have had to sign agreements that say that they won't say any negative things. Yes, about the console until after launch day, and I'm just like, that's that's. Yeah, the, the embargo. That's, not good, the, the, that's the, not good journalism. Yeah, the embargoing system has really hurt uh, video game journalism overall. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Jim Sterling's talked about it repeatedly over the years, but I think he's more right now than at any time in the past that, you know, some people who want to follow that true sense of journalism are just opting not to do it because. Mm-hmm they won't play ball with these companies and the companies are like, well, then you don't get to, you don't get early access or you don't get to do this. And or we don't send you a, a review copy of the game. If you yeah. want to review it, you buy you it yourself. Buy it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that stems from the pre-sale, pre-order sales, yes. because it's like, you can see, you know, don't say anything bad about it until it's released yeah. because they know the company knows what side its bread sure. is buttered on. And part of it is the uh, the difference in the new school of game review versus the old school. And what I'm talking about is basically the immediacy of the internet versus yes. the print media. Because when you would, and, mm. you know, you get the print media, they would receive the game early, but they'd have the time to play it and then write the review and then print. So you would have that time to interject up till print time right. if you needed ch- to change something. Whereas here, everyone is trying aiming for the clicks. Everyone is aiming to be the first one seen. Yeah. So in order to get this game and put out my YouTube product first, I have to sign this embargo with these companies yeah. in, in order so that, because if I don't come out first, I don't get the clicks. Yeah, this if, is, if, if my review is two weeks late, everyone has watched everyone else's video, mine becomes moot. Yeah, this has definitely evolved out of the the introduction of the 24-hour news cycle where, you know, there used to be only a specific time of day that you could watch news. And then suddenly when you were able to watch news, you know, 24 hours a day, everybody was more interested about being first than being right. And it's like, well, as long as we're first, we can always fix it later. And unfortunately, that was a 
a thought in journalism that was proven to be false because it left you way open to lawsuits and so forth. And, you know, your your credibility gets hurt dramatic. Well, I should say your, your, your credibility used to be hurt dramatically if you reported something and then it turned out to be exaggerated and or false and you had to go back and make a correction. Uh, now it's just considered, quote, opinion journalism and and they just don't issue corrections. I will say if, if you are looking for a good, reliable review site for video games these days, uh, one of my favorites, it's been around for ages, giantbomb.com. Yeah. I think they're yes. out of San Francisco. They put out a podcast every week, but they do a lot of uh, review journalism on their website. Sure. And, of course, they have YouTube channel and so on. And they will be upfront for any embargoes that they've had to deal with for whatever they are doing. Mm-hmm. So they're like, this is what we have to say. This is what the embargo will not let us talk about. Now that, and so, but once the embargo, the embargo ends on this day, and we can give you a full review at that point of the things that we are not allowed to tell you about right now. I've I've reached the point in video gaming where I don't really buy much on launch day because I want to wait for it to have been out for a little while so that I can get reviews from people that I trust that have had time to play it and typically have bought the game on their own and are reviewing it without any restrictions. Sure. So that you can get it. And then you also get a lot of word of mouth reviews, like people that have said, this is great, this is great, this is bad, this is great, this is bad, I played that, I'm still playing this, I played it for a few hours, and then I won't go back to it. That way you can get kind of a general consensus over sure. what the game is like. But when you get into, just like you said, okay, that pre-ordering system where everybody is just out to you know, get it first and then decide whether it's bad or not, I'm just... Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I don't want to spend my hard-earned money on something that I don't enjoy yeah, um, I, or, I, or won't have the potential to enjoy. You're old. Uh, <laughs> a <laughs> fine old. example of that is Watchdog Legion. I can't think of, of a game I was more excited for this year yeah. for it to come out. And now that I've played it, I'm real meh about it. But you used Gamefly, right? You didn't yes. buy it. Okay, correct. Yeah. yeah, I get to send it back to its owner. My friends are my Gamefly. And you know what? Everyone's friends should be get their own Gamefly. Yeah, I don't buy a game unless yeah. I played it on someone else's because I'm not worried about getting in there first. So, I mean, that's how I got the my original Xbox because I played someone's Halo on their Xbox and I was like, holy shit, I got I to gotta do this. Yeah. But it was just like, you know. And it's like, and I don't buy many games anyway. So, but I trust you enough, Todd, and I know your taste well enough that when you talk about something, I can sit there and go, that sounds like something I'd be interested in, or mm, nah, not for me. Right, because our, our, our tastes do not cross. No, no. So they do some, but not, not we're, a lot. We're not, yeah, we're not a perfect singular line. Yeah. So it's, you know, and that sort of thing is really... And, you know, of course, I'm broke. There's always that. There is that. <laughs> but, um, you know, back when I could buy stuff, it was certainly, I just, I waited. I just waited for you guys to take care of it. You guys, Paul, uh, there are a few friends of Andy's. Well, that's why, we started, that's why we started Ugly Couch Show and Geek Shock, 
it, it wasn't for the listeners out there. It was for you, Kay. Yeah. It was for us to tell you <laughs> what we were watching, reading, and playing so that you could make a wise decision. I know. And I feel bad because I really didn't listen to the show till I joined it. <laughs> <laughs> I know Dave Rader listened and things got better. Yeah, really. Good old Dave Rader. A weekend geek. Woohoo. Oh, wow. We're there already. Already, he says. We're not <laughs> half yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> We've been at this for a little while. This is the point where my mouth falls apart. Sure, we're there already. Uh, Marie Jarvin. Oh, sorry. I said that wrong. See, already. I Self-fulfilling wow. goddamn prophecy. That didn't take long. Marie Javins has been promoted to editor-in-chief of DC Comics. Uh, Javins promotion comes nine months after the exit of DC Comics co-publisher Dan Didio. In her new role, Javins will oversee the development and execution of the label's annual publishing schedule to grow all DC imprints. Working with Chief Creative Officer Jim Lee, Javins will help define positioning, character narratives, and prioritization, creative talent selection, and brand attributes of each imprint, and develop publishing plans with lead editors. Uh, No, I, I did not get this off the press release, I swear. Uh, quote, as a young girl devouring comics of Wonder Woman, nu- uh, Nubia, and Supergirl, I never dreamed that decades later I'd be at the helm of the mighty DC Comics, said Javins. I'm incredibly honored by this responsibility and will dedicate myself to supporting and challenging DC's extended family of staff, talented, talent, right, uh, retailers, and partners around the world in our quest to tell innovative visual stories that both reflect and expand our world, and in some cases, our galaxy and multiverse, unquote. Uh, Javins served as DC's executive editor of Global Publishing and Digital Strategy, where she edited Justice League, DC Superhero Girls, Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, Superman Smashes the Clan, Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, and Dark Knight's Death Metal. Uh, Javins also worked at an, as an editor and colorist at Marvel Comics as well. So yeah. that's the new broom. Anybody who worked on Superman Smashes the Clans got my vote. I, I got to say, that, that, that is us. And the last time that DC had a, a woman for editor-in-chief, we got Vertigo Comics. Right. So Jeanette Kahn? Yeah. Yeah. I'm always uh, encouraged Jeanette. by increasing diversity in, in those types of roles. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, this sounds good. I like that. So, yes, I, I, I look forward to seeing uh, what she has in store. Indeed. And wonder how the higher-ups above her wreck it all. <laughs> right. Uh, this next one, your mileage may vary. Vin Diesel is set to return in his role as Bloodshot. And filmmaker... Re- re- return? Yeah. Blood, Bloodshot came out. It did? It did? Yeah, it came out right when COVID was starting. Oh. oh. Maybe that's why I didn't <laughs> <Okay>. realize <laughs> <laughs> okay i was like i i kind of remember that that was in production but i, I don't remember it yeah. ever being yeah it got released vin diesel and bloodshot is not what threw me return is what <laughs> threw me yeah okay i love vin diesel but i was just like oh sure. bloodshot was in the theaters okay when everything got locked down oh okay all right and and he got approved for a sequel, right? And filmmaker Dan Mitz confirmed plans for the sequel, telling uh, comic book uh, review, "I think Bloodshot was very successful in the respect a lot of people saw it, and it did very well in the post-release rollout. But you can't use the same evaluation pro- evaluation process pre-COVID. But did it though? <laughs> to this, uh, I can, love can, that. I can, 
Continue. I'm sorry. I just love that. <laughs> In the respect that a lot of people saw, it, it was a success. <laughs> Continuing. Uh, are Van D- Vin Diesel and all these people going to still continue? Yes, because it did so well, and the response to it has been so well. That's that's the quote. Really? Yes. It's just <laughs> continuing. It's just that the response has been in a non-transparent environment, as opposed to a transparent environment like box office numbers. Unquote. That's a hell of a quote. So is he saying that their internal numbers are different than what their published box office numbers are? Yes. Is that what he's trying to... Okay. Yes. Because they did release it to the home. Right. Yeah. Well... Like like the Invisible Man and all the other things that were out at the time, Trolls and so on. Yeah. Internal numbers are always different for the studios. I mean, in some cases, like, they'll say, we had a box office bomb, and then their internal numbers show that the number of tickets sold was actually far higher. It's... It's such a weird area, so but yeah, yeah it, that's that makes more sense. So apparently, they're... it did well enough in whatever those numbers are to constitute a sequel. So it did well, it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Deadshot was directed by Dave Wilson, who is uh, Deadpool director Tim Miller's partner at Blur Studios. Ah, so uh, more Bloodshot. If you liked it, you're getting more. In, in if terms, you saw it, in terms of people watching it, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll release it as a double feature: Bloodshot and Bloodshot Two. There you go. The re reckoning. Somebody didn't edit that copy before it got released <laughs> to the press. <laughs> Some PR guy was like, "Oh shit, I forgot to review that." Oh well, couldn't couldn't possibly hurt us <laughs> you, in the long run. You quoted him directly. Quote because it did so well, and the response to it has been so well. <laughs> oh well. Well, you know what? We had a president that talked worse. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. I was gonna say. I was gonna say post Trump. Yeah. Folks, yeah, it's all different. <laughs> Everything's fair game. Yep. yep. <laughs> Grammar doesn't matter anymore. It don't matter. I don't feel bad for any of my mispronunciations from here on out. You don't feel worse. Okay, we'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, next up on Thanksgiving Day, <gasps> oh, Thanksgiving Day weekend, Oh, uh, TNT, TBS, and True TV will be airing blocks of HBO Max programming from November 6th through the 29th. Dubbed hmm. Thanksgiving to the HBO Max The block of TV will feature the first episode of the former DC Universe series Titans, as well as the pilot of The Flight Attendant. Aquaman will make its network premiere, along with airings of other movies from DC's lineup, including Wonder Woman and Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So so for those of you who don't have HBO Max and would like a little sampling and do have TNT, TBS, or True TV, uh, you'll you'll get a little uh, Thanksgiving weekend of HBO Max programming, or as Netflix calls it, what they're showing in France. And... Oh, that that actually reminds me. Um, in in uh, what geeky things do we do? I forgot to mention that Titans is now available if you have HBO Max. I, I'd assume from this. Yeah, but I mean, it, it is it's available now. Oh, okay. I I noticed it was in there after the show last week, so I was saving to tell it this week. But, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I think the first two seasons, if I'm not mistaken, are in there, and more to come. It might be more, but uh, well, fuck Batman. <laughs> <laughs> in joke, Titans joke. Titans yes. joke. Gotcha. Uh, we did lose a few people, of course, because we can't go a week without that, can we? Um, it is 2020. <laughs> uh, we lost Elsa Raven. Uh, she was 91. Character actress Raven went on to find success in both film and television, but mo- notably starring as the Save the Clock Tower lady from. 
the Back to the Future original. Yeah. Uh, Raven also played Mrs. Townsend, the realtor who sold the house in the 1985 horror classic, The Amityville Horror, and a nurse in the Kick the Can segment of the Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh. She also acted as Ida Strauss, the co-owner of Macy's Department Store and James Cameron's Titanic. And she also made appearances in various TV shows over the course of her career, including sitcoms, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Seinfeld, Murphy Brown, The Rock from the Sun, Everybody Loves Raymond, and Freddy's Nightmares. That's right. If you're not aware, the Freddy Krueger had a TV show in the 80s. Yep. And it was weird. Really weird. Because all he did was host the introduction, right? Not yeah. always. Really? There were sh- there were episodes where Freddy was okay. the bad guy. They were sprinkled throughout and rare. Okay. The very first episode has it. But they're really, really atmospheric and esoteric. Gotcha. Well, that's what I expect from a Freddy show. But even more, if, if, <laughs> even, if you, even if you took... If you say, you know what, I really want a really strange and, but a very psychedelic mm-hmm. Freddy thing, this is more than you'd ever expect. I'd heard, it might have been you years ago. I, but, ha- I have the series on DVD if you want to borrow well, it. Well, I've heard that it is exceptionally, it's interesting, weird, Yes, considering it's Freddy's nightmares. It wasn't scary, it was un- just unusual and... And that was whether it was a horror anthology, two short stories per episode. But whether the story was about Freddy or not, it was just really artsy, I guess, is what I'm trying to say for a series like that. So, yeah, um, going back to the the characters she's portrayed. Oh, yeah, uh, we're talking about Ms. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, the, the person the, who died. The Save the Clock Tower character is truly uh, back to the future. a fascinating there and integral go. part. Yeah, 15 minutes of this game yeah, of, of Back to the Future because you know the <laughs> amount of exposition that she does in that short little period of time that she's on the screen, you know, and and setting up the plot of how they're going to return Marty in the future, you know. She's memorable when yeah. she gets in that camera scream save Absolutely. the clock tower. You are scared into remembering that for the rest of your life. And the amount of information she imparts in such a short period of time that's critical to the story is is unbelievable. I mean, you don't typically have that much exposition in a short, short period of time in a lot of modern films. And the fact that she gives him the flyer, which is what reminds him that he's got to get he, back. He would and, have never and how gotten he back can. without it. Yeah. If he didn't know when, exactly when and where the lightning strike was going to be. She saved all three movies. Yeah. So yeah, and, and but not yeah. the clock tower. It still got fucked yeah, it up. Yeah, did really did. But yeah, the number of roles that she performed in, yeah, that's it's good career, good career. Uh, we also lost Ken Spears, uh, which is really interesting because his business partner we announced his like three or four weeks ago. Yeah, he passed. Uh, he was eighty-two. Uh, Joe Ruby is his partner that passed. Uh, they wrote the teleplays with Hanna-Barbera Productions and founded yep. Ruby Spears in 1977. Yep. Spears was partly responsible for animated series like Dynamut, Jabberjaw, and of course, they invented Scooby-Doo. I used to love you're, Blue Falcon and Dynamut. That's, yeah. You're leaving off Ruby Spears, Thunder of the Barbarian. Oh, I'm not. As producers, they created oh, okay. animated mainstays like <laughs> Superman, Alvin and the Chipmunks, Fang Face, Mr. T, Plastic Man, Comedy Adventure Hour, Saturday Supercade, and Thunder the Barbarian. Stop taking everything so personal, okay? 
It's not always about you. After this, <laughs> after this year? <laughs> In the early 70s, Spear and Ruby were hired by Fred Silverman, president of Children's Programming, to supervise CBS's Saturday morning cartoons lineup. And the last one I have to announce is uh, Jeffrey Palmer. Uh, he was 93, an actor whose films include A Fish Called Wanda, Madness of King George, and the 1997 Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies. Not one of the best, but he was in it. Mr. Palmer was well into his 60s when he found his greatest acclaim in As Time Goes By, a sitcom about an older couple reuniting after a long separation. The show premiered in 1992 and ran till 2005. Wow. You know, the, uh, the Spears thing comes in an interesting time because they actually uh it actually had been uh they'd actually been talking about ruby spears was doing this animated expose on hillary clinton oh yeah really yeah and and the i mean weeks apart weeks that's just and right here around the election uh, i don't know man he's still alive He's, he's down there with his partner, munching on babies, yeah. bringing forth a satanic cabal. We all know this. We're Democrats. <laughs> Mon- <laughs> 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 what the hell? I was going to start the next story, but I just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even advance my brain. <laughs> that's, that's, see, that's because your brain's opening up. From all that baby all human growth hormone. Yeah, you're now you're now you're now seeing truth. Gro- growth hormone baby lock. That's or vapor lock. Yeah, <laughs> I like baby lock. Frankly, baby, <laughs> baby vapor lock. Baby uh, lock. That's a new. Uh, isn't that a new rap artist? Or is that an R and B artist? It probably is. Now that you've said it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Motion Gate, Dubai. We'll soon have a 10-story roller coaster ride called John Wick Open Contract. Oh, wow. Where guests will enter the Continental and decide whether they want to help John Wick or hunt him. Depending on what option visitors choose, they'll be ushered through a different queue experience based on this choice. Uh, The Dubai theme park will also get the world's fastest single spinning car coaster that's inspired by the Now You See Me films, where magicians of different stripes pivot to become master thieves. Uh, Lionsgate, the company that owns the two franchises, is planning to have more rides like this in the future. Lionsgate told Variety, quote, Because the world is so rich and the characters are so intriguing, there's a lot of story we can tell here in an experimental way. Now You See Me is the same way. Uh, Magic is incredibly popular and universal. Doing this first ride in Dubai, I think we'll establish what we can do in other places around the world, and we're interested in expanding our portfolio of film film franchises and TV series in outdoor theme parks, unquote. Hmm. So John the Wick the Ride, coming to a park near you, but Mm. Dubai first. Well, I'm still waiting for seven, the experience. <laughs> well, it is Lionsgate. You might get Saw the experience. They own yeah, that. You know, they need to do a half half mile tall roller coaster. They've got the Burj Khalifa out there now, which is like, what, over a quarter mile? Something like that. So they got to they gotta just, they really got to. Structurally, that would be impressive. 
Well, have you seen the Burj Khalifa? That's, first, a, that's a skinny little thing. Listen. That's a little tiny needle. First, they're going to build the space elevator up to the space station. Yeah. And then they're going to put a roller coaster on it, and it's oh, going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you got to get that commercial money to finance the venture. Sure. So. But, but it's going to be really wild when you start off weightless, and then all of a sudden there's weight. Well, I, I kind of did that during the past six months. <laughs> <laughs> Go from microgravity to three times gravity. Yes. <laughs> With entry burn. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, Kay got really excited well, about you, that. Well, you know, if you, you don't have that wet-ass pussy, <laughs> Jesus you're going to have entry burn. You're going to have entry burn. Uh. I, I knew it was going somewhere <laughs> awful. Uh. You knew? You, yeah. you could tell, Jeff? I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that coming a mile I, away, Trebek. I, I just, I can't get over that story. Yeah, his wife told him. <laughs> ben, I got some bad news for you, buddy. <laughs> you have your camera ready, Kirsten? Oh, shit. He's doing, he's doing his thing again. Yeah, the kid is on Jeff's lap once again. The only lap he goes to. It's impressive. No, he sat on your lap before. He has, but over on, like on the couch and some relaxing. You're the only one that, like, sitting on a seat that... You are claimed by the cat. The cat has claimed you as his own. Well, he did different this time. Usually he jumps up on the table and then he'll slowly crawl onto my lap. This time he actually jumped up right into my lap. Right. Two, two paws on one leg, two paws on the other, and your legs are completely spread, so it looks really awkward. Well, I had to spread them because he stood. As soon as Kristen <laughs> brought the camera out, he, he had to up. spread his legs. <laughs> yeah, well, yes. He yeah. was natural inclination of Jeff for years. <laughs> He was lying down, and then as soon as Kirsten brought the camera out, he stood up. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Sure, Jeff. <laughs> Amazon Studios has greenlit a TV series based on the Eisner Award-winning graphic novel Paper Girls uh, by Vaughn and artist Cliff Chang. Paper Girls is set in 1988 and follows four 12-year-old newspaper delivery girls living in the suburb of Stony Stream, Ohio. On the morning after Halloween of 1988, while working their regular paper route, the four girls find themselves in the middle of a war among time travelers. This kicks off a coming-of-age story that takes them on a life-changing time-traveling adventure. uh, Stephanie Folsom, who wrote the pilot, will serve as co-showrunner, along with Christopher Cantwell and Christopher C. Rogers. That's three showrunners. That's a lot of showrunners. And one of them, Cantwell. The comic series has earned multiple Eisner Awards. In 2016, Paper Girls won two for Best New Series and Best Penciler slash Inker. The following year, Wilson and Vaughn both won for Best Colorist and Best Writer, respectively. Meanwhile, the series' first compilation was shortlisted for the Hugo Award for Best Graphic Story in 2017. So I've I've never read Paper Girls, but I definitely know it by uh, reputation. I understand it's excellent. I haven't read it either, but the way you described it, it sounds interesting. I, I, so Amazon's getting yeah. this one, so uh, yeah, good on them. Yeah, sounds sounds like a unique premise too, something that hasn't exactly been done before. Right, it's uh, female Stranger Things with time travel. Yeah, I've heard of that before. Have you? Oh, Stranger Things. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> According to the Hollywood Reporter. Oscar Isaac is in negotiations to lead Moon Knight, one of Marvel's high-profile prof- Disney Plus series. In the comics, Mark Spector was blessed with powers and saved from death by the Egyptian moon god Khonshu, leaving the hero now known as Moon Knight with voices in his head. 
The ex-mercenary serves as Khonshu's avatar, doing good under the guise of his multiple secret identities. Uh, the Umbrella Academy's Jeremy Slater is running the series. Moon Knight will develop a, as a hero before possibly moving to film. Uh, Oscar Isaac, great. Love him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's The man will exist in every major franchise we have. Well, Disney does tend to like to keep using the same cadre of actors. So, I mean, I don't see why not. You know, he was in Star Wars, did a great job in that. And moving on to this, you know, why not? Uh, Moon Knight, uh, if you're not familiar, is the Batman of Marvel Comics, basically, with, with voices in his head. That's... Yeah. <clears throat> I was never that familiar. I mean, I was aware of the character, but I didn't know that much about the character, so... I'm I'm looking forward to this. It'd be interest an interesting introduction. Yeah, they brought back the character in the uh, '90s, late '80s, early '90s, and that's where I discovered him and really, really took to him. I thought it yeah. was a really, really entertaining and and fun character to, to play around with. Hmm. So I, I'm really kind of looking forward to this Moon Knight series, uh, and and face it with all the the what the closest. Thing, and that's not even close to it. The closest character that we have to a Batman-esque thing in the Marvel U is Scarlet. Hmm, yeah. Scarlet. Black, uh, Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. Scarlet Johansson. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Scarlet. Weirdly enough. Hour and a half. My I, brain breaks. My weirdly brain enough, breaks. I knew right where you were going, yes. even though Good, I was I starting was to confused. go. <laughs> Unlike Scarlet from G.I. Joe? <laughs> Jeff gets me. Yeah. <laughs> Lived with you for long enough. I'm so. glad there's one of us here. <laughs> yeah, I need an interpreter. <laughs> <laughs> you see, man, what he's trying to say is... <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Black Widow, and, and that's not even really close to Batman. No. When it comes down to it, but that's the no. closest. Punisher. Kind of? If if Batman had gone completely dark, then yes, Punisher would well, be... Well, there you go. Marvel, Marvel sure. takes but, but, it but to even, 11. But even that currently is punisher in the mcu proper anymore yeah netflix was kind know. of a separate creature right but anyway yes moon knight i'll take it give me more netflix is expanding the witcher with a limited prequel series entitled blood origin consisting of six parts the live action project is said to take place in quote an elven world 1200 years before the events of the main series the spinoff will chronicle the origins of the very first Witcher, as well as, quote, the events that lead to the pivotal conjunction of the spheres when the worlds of monsters, men, and elves emerged to become one, reads the synopsis. Uh, Declan Debara, the writer of season one episode of Banquets, Bastards, and Burials, is attached as executive producer and showrunner for Blood Origins, which plans to shoot in the United Kingdom. Uh, Witcher showrunner Lauren schmidt Hisrich. Isrich is also executive producing alongside Witcher novelist, creative consultant, Andrzej Sapkowski. Andre. That's what I said. No cast has been confirmed yet. So hmm. Netflix expanding that Witcherness. Okay. All right. Clive Barker is joining the creative producing team in the upcoming Hellraiser HBO series. Barker was not involved in the project when it was announced in April. Described as, quote, an elevated continuation of the existing Hellraiser mythology, the Hellraiser series will be written by Ash vs. Evil Dead EP Mark Verheiden and Trick or Treat director Michael Darty, with Verheiden serving as showrunner. 
Uh, Halloween Kills director David Gordon Green is attached to helm the first few episodes. So he's joining the production team. Not so it, it seems like it very much in the same capacity as what he's doing with Nightbreed. He's not writing it, but he's kind of writing the Bible and helping with the established lore, almost as a consultant producer in this regard. Cool. Uh, although I, I'm still so put off by the elevated continuation of the existing Hellraiser mythology. From what point? From what point? They'll probably find some way to draw all of it in in some way or no. another. Stop at three. And even if you even better, if you can stop at two, that's better. Right. Three if you have to, but stop there. Don't go any any further. Because the rest of it is goddamn garbage. <laughs> wow. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> but it's it's it is heartening to see that Clive Barker is attached to it. Barker has not been attached since the second one, and he was barely attached. He basically helped uh, Atkins write the story for it. Atkins wrote the screenplay. Peter Atkins, I think his name is. The, the basis of the story was Barker's, but the movie itself was its own thing. So really, the only Barker Hellraiser is that first one. Gotcha. So the fact that he's now putting his name to this uh, bodes well. Cautiously optimistic. There you go. And uh, I've got time for one more of these. Ubisoft has signed with Netflix to develop a number of original projects inspired by the Assassin's Creed video game franchise. Under the partnership, two companies will produce new television content in live action, animation, and anime, which is separate from animation for some reason. The search for a showrunner to oversee the live action series is currently underway, while the show has yet to receive a green light, it represents Ubisoft's second attempt at a live-action adaptation. In 2016, they partnered with 20th Century Fox for the ill-fated film. Uh, the movie is both a critical and financial disappointment. The next installment of the video game series, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, set during the Age of Vikings and goes on sale when the consoles do. So, I don't know. Assassin's Creed is a game series that, with a few hiccups has gotten better over time. Okay. Uh, Assassin's Creed 1 was kind of just a proof of concept. Uh, there, was, there was somewhat of a game there, but it was more about just being being able to run on every building in an open world of, right. of those towns. Uh, 2 is when they really got under the story element and really brought that forward and, and made it something deep. That's why 2 has multiple parts to it. It's following that same character in multiple games. Uh, from there, it, it was kind of a juggling. The one that happened in the U.S., the one that happened in the London were kind of Origins and even more so Odyssey, which was the last one that was in the Greek Empire. Really, really found its flow in both gameplay and keeping a compelling story telling, especially with Odyssey. Uh, Origins kind of goes back and forth, but the game can play really ramped up i'm hearing really good things about valhalla yeah as far as like the early reviews go again uh who knows how much of this is infected by embargoes right but overall it's according to some who have reviewed it uh one of the better open worlds that they've done in this series the weird thing underneath all of these assassin's creed games is that 
there is the story of what is actually happening in the real world. Yeah. For anybody that has not played these games, I've only seen it from a, a distance. These games do not take place in these eras. The games are actually taking place in a future where people are able to go into the, uh, the memories, digitized memories of their ancestors and relive a time period through that. Right. And there is a war between two factions vying for control of the world by doing this. So they're going back and experiencing this history to learn things about things in the, that modern futuristic time that could help them, secrets that were hidden from the ancient aliens that ran this. It's really, really, <laughs> really good and bad at the same time in that regard. It's a very, very convoluted story underneath the story that you're actually playing in the game as these ancestors. Sounds like one of my pitcher pitches after you got through with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a story within a story within a story. You see, well, it kind of is because what you have there is you have this uh, wizards and warriors thing, and then you bring in the misfits of science, and then it all comes together <laughs> straight from the heart, baby. Toy, uh, toys. Toy, I love them. Toy Galaxy. Oh, Toy Galaxy's fun. The uh, the YouTube channel had a thing on Misfits of Science. Oh, did they? Uh, recently. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Apparently, there had been toys planned and never, really? never were released, which is why they they talked about it. Misfits yeah. of Science, late eighties uh, superhero show that lasted a, a yeah, season. It's it's kind of their version of the X Men, only a lot more wacky and. Uh, you know, they, 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 they used science to give these individuals their unique abilities versus, you know, their mutants, and they just yeah. developed them from mutation. But uh, it's it's clear that that was kind of like the structure they were looking for, but then they turned it into a comedy. And The, the theme song, I loved it. It's terrible. Yeah. It's absolutely horrible. It's, but, as, but at the time, it was a rockin' 80 soundtrack, and I thought it was awesome, but it wasn't. It's it's really bad. It's it's full on eighties, dripping with eighties sound. It's kind of your heavy metal of soundtracks. Kind of without all the misogyny. Oh <laughs> well, then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> What's your misogyny? Write to us comments at uglycowshow dot com. Never not mind, you, Jake. Never mind. Never maybe, mind. Maybe we don't need. Don't answer that. Yeah, you, just, you don't need to comment, Jake. It's okay. But if there's an email you want to send us, that's where you send it to. <laughs> keep, keep your misogyny where where it belongs. And until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Good to have your voice back. It's nice to be back. You know, I didn't interrupt Jeff enough. But we did laugh a couple times. <laughs> you and I. Did. While Jeff was talking. Just the two of so us? Are we doing a just the two of us thing again? We did it last week, K. Yeah, but then, then it was just the two of you. Oh, it was. Now it's just the two of us, so we can make Jeff feel on the outside. Oh. Or as Jeff Just, calls it, Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs>